Previously on Nerd Punches Nerd. Do you, you know how when Cammy wins, she turns and shows off her ass to the screen? Yeah, it's awesome. That's fan service. <laughs> <laughs> you argue both sides. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Nerd Punches Nerd, the only podcast where a bunch of nerds pretend to physically fight over minor pop culture minutiae. I'm Jeremy, here with Benji and Sam. Say hello, Padres. Hello. hello. Padres. Oh, wow. We really timed that perfectly, didn't we? <laughs> nice. That's what we call serendipity. Indeed. We're just becoming one as a podcast unit. In fact, you've gentlemen. been one person the entire time. It's all been a... A secret prank on me. No, yeah. it's, uh, we're approaching the singularity, but we'll get into that we later. Are. Yes, that's <laughs> that's that's what we will do. Well, we have to hold off on singularity cast for another time. Yeah, wait till Obama gets out of office. Ha 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 ha. Go ahead. So, before we get to today's topic, which is a doozy of a pickle, mm. let's have our first little round of uh, intros. So, it's going to be a deceptively simple one until you actually start thinking about it which is pick your two favorite simpsons non-recurring guest stars now i say of course non-recurring because otherwise you'd have your kelsey grammars and albert brooks's and john lovitz's and phil hartman's so none of those people so instead i say just two any two will do okay and how are you in this order well, today's order, I think we're going to use who has the thickest glasses, the thinnest to the thickest. That's a hard one thinnest. between the three of us. Yeah, thinnest to thickest. <laughs> All right. Okay. Giggity, giggity. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really know about Benji's glasses. I, that's, my, that's tough for me to say. My, my, I, know, my... I, think, I think Jeremy's are thicker than mine. I actually true. think mine are thicker than yours too, Sam. I, yeah. I think I have. All right. Well, my contacts are negative three and negative two point seven five. Okay. That's what I have. So I'm gonna I pretend know. I know what that means. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, my glasses <laughs> are it, it means my eyesight yeah. sucks. It does. It means I have that that. The, the Fogelman family has bad genes for, for eyesight. Right, That's I, all right. I think I have right. like okay. 2800 vision or something. So, great. So I have I have the thinnest um, <laughs> eyeglasses. And, and you are the thinnest out of all of us. So I just... am the thinnest also right, in right. general. Okay, so... Globally speaking. Yeah. Um, so, right. my two favorite one-off guest appearances on The Simpsons. Um, so, the first one I'm going to mention is Aerosmith. Oh, all right. Uh, when Aerosmith nice. appeared, I believe it was on the um, Flaming Moe's episode, right? It was, twas. That's right. Right. They they were pretty awesome in it. Right, because Mo Mo like you know rebranded uh, his bar as Flaming Moe's, and he was selling his drink, and so he actually they actually got Aerosmith to to play in the bar and uh, and do a little guest spot, and they sang a song and stuff. Um, but I remember in particular there was there was one little bit. Um, where they told them they had to change the lyrics of their song because it was offensive or something like that. And they were like, oh, no, we, we can't change our, our lyrics. The lyrics are like our children. And then uh, 
and then Mo like tells them, is it Mo or for some reason I'm thinking it's like Krusty the Clown, but no, I feel no, like it could have been Krusty. It was Mo, right? Uh, yeah, whatever, yeah, their voices yeah. are similar. He, he ripped off They're Homer's They're probably voiced idea. by the same guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Mo tells them, he's like, no, I want you to change the lyrics to this other thing, whatever it was. And they're like, oh, hey, that's that's way better. That's, you know, now our, our lyrics can reach everyone. And they just like totally flip. Um, so that was kind of funny. Um, I do I do really remember that. I like like seeing them on the, on that episode. Um, the second one, and this is um, cheating a little bit, but not really. Um, my my absolute favorite guest star on The Simpsons was David Hyde Pierce. Interesting. Who played Cecil Terwilliger, Sideshow Bob's brother. Oh yeah, um, it was great. Huge. It was uh, it was a pretty that's not cheating. only that's problem. Not cheating. It's, it's cheating in the cheating. sense that he's he play. I mean, the character is a one off character. No, it's not. Uh, he's only in one episode, isn't he? He's, well, he's in two. There is he a, two? Uh, it's it's sorry. Okay, no, listen. no, it counts. It counts. It's, okay, listen. Yes, if you want to say it's only Simpsons one. before like season twelve or whatever. Yes, yeah. because it was a season nineteen or something episode. Oh, what that doesn't count. Well, whatever. Listen, he came back and not and you know the the dad from Frasier played their dad. Yeah, but nobody watched season it nineteen. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. People still watch. No, it. no, just... it counts. It counts. It counts because it's not often enough, and it's specifically a special thing. And even though Kelsey Grammer is a rate is a recurring character, it was a special thing that they did. I think it counts, and I agree that it was one of the best cameos. I mean, so. if just because he came on a second time and they got the guy who played Frazier's dad and like they were basically they're ripping themselves off at that point, you know, years later when nobody cares anymore. I don't, I don't think that should be held against me. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I agree. Because the first time when he appeared, it was original and funny um, that they they just like did this whole takeoff of Frazier, which was actually a popular show at the time. Or yeah. was Frazier still on then or had it like... Yeah, it was still on then. It was still on. It was towards the end. Yeah. It was towards the end when yeah. spoilers wasn't uh Kelsey, wasn't Fraser about to get like married to Daphne or something like that or something along those lines. No, Fraser was never going to marry Daphne. Let's let's move on from Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about Fraser? Um, but anyway, the point is that David Hyde Pierce appeared on The Simpsons and he he played Sideshow Bob's brother, which is funny because he played. Uh, Kelsey Grammer's brother on Frasier, and they they did their whole like witty Frasier banter and stuff. Yeah. And also, he was he was a really good character um, and very entertaining. He was, he was yeah. very good. I mean, he was a really yeah. good. Like, they have it. You know, The Simpsons has a ton of cameos and the characters uh, throughout different episodes, celebrity celebrity appearances. But he was like a solid character and actually really complimented Sideshow Bob. In its own, in his own way, it was very it was very impressive. I, I and that was a good episode too. That was a really good episode. Yeah. So, so those are my choices. So uh, I believe. So your first choice is. Oh, number one. The number yeah. one. Number one is David Hyde Pierce. Right. And uh, number two. Second is Aerosmith. Okay, so you, that's that's your order. Yes. All right. Benjo Man. All right. So we discussed this before the podcast, but really, I do think John Waters was one of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, that, that was a fantastic episode. I didn't know who John Waters was at the time at all. But John Waters, it's also because I like John Waters because John Waters, first of all, he's one of these he, he's one of these really early sort of gay icons who's very unapologetic very very clearly gay like he's very open about it even he's even got the creeper stash that no one can pull off but him you know what i mean 
and he did a really good job in the episode really like like put a lot into it because he's he's an artist himself and um and also the episode was was a a pretty like poignant episode they like i, I didn't really think about it at the time i didn't you know I, I i didn't know much about like i didn't really know any gay people who were out or whatever when i was like nine or ten when it came out but it was interesting because it was trying to make that whole sort of point uh you know just about um you know what's the problem here having homer having having an issue with it but you know um you know just dealing with with, with that with that whole issue and him coming sort of coming around um but then um uh the other uh, appearance that i really liked was <laughs> it really is just because of one line but the that great baseball episode um with the simpsons uh and kendrick yeah, and yes, and yes. there were there were a bunch of great, great. Uh, almost all the baseball players had had great lines, but Ken Griffey Jr. had that great line. He's just drinking the the the. It's like there's <laughs> a party in my mouth, and everyone's invited. Exactly, I even as a kid, I love that line. It's like a party in my mouth, and everyone's invited. And he and like and like that that drink he was drinking is known to cause gigantism in one percent of the people who drink it. <laughs> the so, That's right. The brain and nerve tonic. Uh, yeah. So the other, I, I have two other people who were kind of on the side. One was it doesn't really make sense, but uh, Gerald Ford. It wasn't really Gerald Ford. Right? <laughs> no, that was not that was Gerald a, Ford. That was that was a that was such a. I don't know great, who played him. I, it, I assume it was one of the regular cast members, wasn't it? It, it, it was. It was an episode where George H. Bush came, even though it wasn't really George H. Bush. And then like he, he like he like met something like he met <laughs> he met Gerald Ford later, and they just get along really well. Yeah, they, like, both, yeah. And they like both at the end of the, the episode, they like both like fall down on the driveway and start cracking up together. He was. <laughs> He was also played by Dan Castle in that. Episode. Yeah, but that's not a. Also I mean, that, that was really funny, but that that's not a guest star. No, because it was which one of the regular cast members. Yeah, I know, but that's why it was I just funny. had to mention it. It was also the thing that Ken Grimes got mad about. He's like, "You met Gerald Ford," <laughs> and then, and then uh, that that's for some Simpsons nerds right there. That reference, that's and Ken then um, Grimes, Frank yeah, Grimes, Frank, Frank Grimes. Grimes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Who was played um, by Hank Azaria, so it doesn't yeah, count either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Frank Grimes is Simpsons fans know who that is. If you're not a Simpsons fan, you don't know what I'm talking about at all. If you're a casual Simpsons fan, you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, the other person who's not a Simpsons person, but I love Such the appearance. Of, yeah, but I love the appearance of uh, and Jeremy will back me up on this. That that very short lived Pamela Anderson. Um, Pamela Anderson uh, animated show where John Lovitz was the bad guy. <laughs> and, and remember when he <laughs> had that thing? You an entire episode yeah. of, that, or, of that terrible show. Wait, no, seriously, yeah. are you talking about Stripperella? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And wasn't show, but John, but John Lovitz, John, Jeremy and I love this. John Lovitz played this like uh, this like e- like this uh, villain who was uh, a huge miser, and he one time he called went, uh, Cheapo. Yeah, and he went. He went into a. He went into like a convenience store, and he saw the sign said, "Give a penny or take a penny." I think I'll take a penny. <laughs> <laughs> well, John Lovett is just so great. Yeah, yeah he's great, uh, like talented at the vocal stuff. So uh, he's, he's always very funny at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> that was funny, even though <laughs> nobody's seen that show. I I think I've seen maybe one episode of that. Yeah, well, it was maybe. the wrong one. Yeah, okay, we shouldn't get too long time. I, I don't think John Lovitz was in it. I I will say about Pamela Anderson that and there's also the show VIP. Uh huh. So in Pamela Anderson's credit, she is a really good sport about making fun of herself. 
she's like a really good sport about it, which is cool. She earns points for that. Cool. She's not quite she's not quite a nerd icon or whatever, but she's she's a yeah. she's but but she's a good I mean, I don't sport. Know, I don't know how cool she was with the whole Borat thing. Um, <laughs> she played that, herself. It was she wasn't she was acting. Was she? Yes. Yeah, she had to. Yes, Sam, she was acting. All right. All right, let's move on. <laughs> so, for me, there's a lot of, like, great choices here and there just because they're, like, funny in certain ways. But if I'm talking about, like, the great stuff, I would have to pick one of them as Dustin Hoffman. Which who played Mr. Bergstrom in the episode Lisa's Substitute. And this was earlier on in The Simpsons, so Dustin Hoffman was sort of worried about being associated with a cartoon, so he went under the pseudonym Sam Etic. Yeah. Because of Semitic. Semitic, right. Yeah. Oh, Dustin Hoffman. But it was a great episode, and it had one of the best endings in general, where it showed, like, the, where he gave her, it's like, all you need to know is what's on this note, and it said, you are Lisa Simpson, which is a, a great line. Which is one of those things that made The Simpsons, at least when it was great, so great. And of course, it had a great ending where Homer manages to get to convince Bart that it was okay that he lost the election and get Lisa to be happy again. It was sort of a, a very nice ending, but it was also yeah. great. Well, that's the thing about about some of the Matt Groening sort of things. Futurama has those moments like that that like make it really poignant, like especially in that in like the dog episode that the puppy, the dog, the, whatever that episode. You know what I'm talking about. And then also their sort of uh, series finale. So so that whole crew, they're they're able to sometimes bring it in in a really awesome way. Right. So. Now, as for my other person, I was really go back and forth on this one, but I'm gonna have to give it to Meryl Streep. And I know Sam doesn't believe that Meryl Streep <laughs> played a character in the show. WTF, Sam? WTF? Seriously. <laughs> but was on the show. I just didn't think that she played the character that you said she played. Jessica Lovejoy. Right. The episode Bart's Girlfriend. Because she was basically nigh unrecognizable. And it was just one of these things that was just so impressive. And, and according to Nancy Cartwright's book, apparently she did like different takes of entirely different voices. That's cool. Man, she's, she's a world-class actress. Right. Now, some of my... Uh, some of my sort of, you know, almosts were, like, of course, Michael Jackson from that episode, which was pretty funny. Yeah, that was a good, that was that was a classic episode. The short Conan O'Brien cameo where he does the only I may dance, because, you know, coming <laughs> back as himself, which was impressive, because that was actually before his show got really that popular, so it was really like a favor. Of course, James Taylor was very funny. He's like, I'm going to play my song, and you're going to like it. Uh, Mandy Patinkin... Also did yeah, Manny Patinkin's awesome. Yeah, uh, Mickey Rooney was very funny in the, in his ridiculous way, and of course, I also like the Smashing Pumpkins. In yeah, they were they were good. Oh yeah, where, where do you know? Because well, how did it go? Something like like we envy you, Homer. You know, you have this great family. You know, all we have is our legions of fans, our youth, and our millions of dollars, <laughs> and then they have like a woohoo. I'm going to go buy a Porsche and a fur coat. <laughs> All right. Yep. How come we only got to pick two and you get to pick like eight? Yeah. You Jeremy, guys, we're getting, Sam and I are going to mutiny. 
from you hosting this thing. You both. That's right. To, both uh, of have... us, because we're totally different people. That's right. <laughs> well, I was just copying Mr. Binge because he picked a couple backups. Well, well, baby germ. Well, really, Sam's the only one who got left out here. Yeah. All right. That's right. I got so screwed. Let's move on to today's topic, which is a versus. Versus. And it's going to be Grant Morrison versus Ellen Moore. Who's nice. crazier and who's better? <laughs> okay. Uh, who should start this off? Should it be me? Yeah. All yeah. right. Fine. <laughs> um, Go ahead. Go ahead I, I, su- I suggested that we that we do a versus between two um, two different artists. Um, uh, when we're discussing their their works, because I think there are certain artists that you can you can just artists in general, any medium that you can compare with, you know, compare with each other. And I think that um one of the reasons I thought that Grant Morrison and Alan Moore were p- good people to compare, were first of all, because they are two of the big giants in in the comic book world, um in several ways. First of all, just sheer popularity that they they each have had even though not each of their works has been super popular, they each have had seminal comic book works that have had huge impacts on pop culture. Um, the other piece to it is that they, in, within the comic book world, and I, admittedly, I'm not the biggest comic book nerd or comic book expert by any means, really. Um, you know, I, I, there are people who can trounce me with, with comic book knowledge, and they, they can do that all right because a lot of comics suck. But, um, but I just really appreciate really talented artists. But anyway, uh, within the comic book world, there, there are people who have compared Alan Moore and Grant Morrison for several reasons. Because, first of all, they both deal with sort of trippy things. Um, uh, they both deal with ideals of sort of like upsetting the established order, to quote the Joker from The Dark Knight um, and other people probably. They, 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 you know, both deal with ideas of revolution, with, with, with bending consciousness, things like that. They've both been huge proponents of the idea of, of magic and the idea of language as a form of magic. And they both have said they're practitioners of magic. And also, I don't know what the extent of it is, but there is, it seems like they've had sort of a feud, which is sort of unfortunate because I look up to both of them. Um, I think Grant Morrison has been more outspoken than, than, uh, than Alan Moore has been. Um, but, but Grant Morrison has definitely said before that Alan Moore later on sort of took some of Grant Morrison's ideas. And Grant Morrison has also said several times that people have taken his ideas, but we can get into that later. Um, but, you know, they, they, they both, they both sort of get into the realm really trying to push the boundaries of, of reality. They both try to, they both try to be these artists that sort of, live what they write and there's kind of this tension between them because because of those things because they really try to push these very very you know large i i'm trying to think of a better synonym but these 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 huge ideas and i and i and i and i think they're comparable because it was hard for me i, I first got into grant morrison um uh, before I read anything about Alan Moore, and he had a gigantic impact on me. Even the way I lived my life, the way I viewed things, and he had a, he had a huge impact on me. The way I viewed art and all that. You know, I started I started first reading New X Men, and then I got into um, the Invisibles, which which, and then I you know I read a bunch of his his interviews, and then you know I was Escalation, thinking, okay, man, yeah, and then I heard, and then I was like, who is this Alan Moore guy? 
you know, I'd heard of him and I saw V for Vendetta before I read, before I read it. And I think all of us saw V for Vendetta before we read it. But the thing is, once I read V for Vendetta, once I read Watchmen, I was like, holy shit, this is, these things are, I mean, these are, these are staples of, of not just pop culture, they, they just like civilization. I really do stand by that. Um, you know, and, yeah. and I, 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 I could go on. feel like those two can go hand in hand because if you're saying something is a seminal work of entertainment of pop culture, I think you could argue that it is a, a, you know, a seminal work of civilization. I mean, you can go back to things like Shakespeare, which is considered like, you know, that's kind right. of pop culture of its era. Right. Right. Of course. Of course. Same way. Of course. Of course. So anyway, I just wanted to kick that off. I, I was throwing a lot of ideas out there, but I, I think it's worth comparing them, talking about their impact on culture. You guys want to unpack some of the things I said, the main thing I will say is just to talk about each each of each of those um, artists. Is first of all, um, uh, there's there's a, a scene. In, actually, V for Dead has several scenes. I'm talking about the graphic novel, though. This scene I'm talking about is in the movie. You know, the scene where where I guess spoilers, I guess where uh, Evie is getting uh, uh, tortured by who she thinks are are uh, are these agents of the government. It's terrifying. And it's in this very fascist state, and she sort of learns the idea of how to actually be free, even in that environment. And I will literally go through sometimes go through bookstores and pick up *Viva Vendetta* and read through that scene to give myself inspiration. And Alan Moore himself is is really a believer in some of the things he put in there, especially in *Viva Vendetta*. And and even if I don't agree with everything he says, I I really like like it's very powerful the way he does it. And then Grant Morrison, I mean. Uh, even if I don't reread everything, he really brought this sort of aesthetic, this real, but this aesthetic that was that was really relatable uh, to me. That that was, um, you know, about you know really being in tune with with bending reality, with trying to deconstruct the world around you, and um, to also look at look at art as sort of a vehicle, not even just for change, but also just for viewing the world and and I think they both have these have these they're they're kind of these giants in that regard. And it's no surprise that their works have had have had an impact on on popular culture and other medias mediums. I mean, first of all, the whole Occupy movement that that's that's been going that 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 was happened like a year or two ago and all these people who look at themselves protesting the government now, you know, different governments of the world, they wear the the V from a Dead mask. Even if it's from the movie, it's originally from from the brain of Alan Moore. And then uh, with Grant Morrison, uh, some people say that the, the Matrix comes from Invisibles. That's a whole different discussion. But anyway, um, I, uh, I should stop talking because I said a bunch of stuff there. You did. You did. But I think that's a bunch of stuff you guys want to unpack that. I think I put some stuff out there for us to sort of compare and look at. Well, there's a lot of sort of differences between the two guys, but um, I think... I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right, of course, about the, the mask, you know, sort of like the the Guy Fawkes mask is, was, wasn't invented, invented by Watchmen, but the particular style was. Uh-huh. Like, by V for Vendetta, you mean? Yeah. Not Watchmen. Like the, like, the way it looked. Right, right. It, right, like, and it's... Well, I mean, it's a staple of British image. It's not yeah. just... It's not just um, Occupy Wall Street or whatever. Um, I mean, the um, Anonymous adopted that as their symbol, also. Well, even uh, in the Arab Spring, you know, and just in general, yeah. You know, just in general, I think that's that's become sort of a an an anarchist, um, you know, symbol 
um, or well, I don't know if anarchist is anti-government exactly sure, the right word, resist- but but yeah, like anti anti-government, you know, resistance of the establishment kind of right. kind of symbol. Yeah. Right yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it and it comes, true. you know, it comes from. I mean, like I, I wouldn't say that that Alan Moore invented it, but he popularized it to the extent that I think nobody had before him, really. Right. Well, I mean, like it's funny because in 2006 there were two groups outside the DC Comics office. This was right around the uh, the film V for Vendetta coming out. There were two groups protesting. One of and they were both so one of them was protesting against the film. The other one was protesting for the film. They were both wearing different sorts of masks. They were both wearing Fox, you know, Guy Fox masks, mm-hmm. except that one of them had masks that were provided by uh, the DC Comics people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so it is interesting in the in the way things are sort of percolated around. Obviously, when you get back to sort of things like in the 80s, obviously there are influences on a lot of things. I mean, of course, it's interesting because, like with Watchmen, Alan Moore kind of thought, this is it. I've done it. I've killed superheroes. There will be no more superhero comics. I've got it. And that's actually sort of, Grant Morrison kind of thinks it's overrated, because I think because of that sort of feeling like where he doesn't appreciate the cut the uh conceit behind it well jeremy you should reference where grant morrison talks about that he just... talks about it in his autobiographical and also comics history book super gods where he discusses the history of comics and as it relates to him now you might think that's a little self-aggrandizing but in fairness he is like the most important creator of comics right now so it's not like entirely out of place and he also knows comics exceptionally well all over the place like he knows dc comics he knows marvel comics yeah well i mean i think that he's 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 in a a good position to comment on things like that because and this is one thing that benji didn't quite develop in what he was talking about about the similarities between alan moore and graham morrison is that both of them have sort of pushed the boundaries of comics while also operating within the mainstream mm-hmm. universes of DC and Marvel, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I mean, like Morrison has written, you know, X-Men, he's written Superman, you know, he wrote Final Crisis, he wrote 52, 52. which was like a big event comic that led up to Final Crisis, like, um, you know, and and more, of course, is also, you know, he wrote uh, Swamp Thing. And um, he wrote a bunch of Superman stuff. Also, that's probably part of where the rivalry comes. Influential stuff. They've both both written Killing Joke and then Arkham Asylum from Grant Morrison. Um, Grant Morrison wrote wrote uh, Arkham Asylum. But the point is, like, they've both they've both written like some really sort of mainstream comic book superhero stuff and some like really out there, you know, weird stuff. And um, actually, I think I think the fact that they've both written some Superman stuff probably is is where some of that rivalry comes from. Um, because, you know, they, they each have their own personal take on, on Superman and, you know, how do we approach this character yeah. and, and, and tell a good story can, about can it. I, can I, Superman can I, can is, is a hard character to write about also. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Can I, can I interject one thing before? I, I want to hear what you say before I completely say everything because I could go on for hours about this. But yeah. <laughs> um, also one thing is that they both are people, they both Grant Morrison and Alan Moore are, are comic book authors who believe in the comic book medium and speak 
frequently about the effectiveness of the comic book medium. Uh, that's the thing. And, you know, Alan Moore has been very vocal about how much he doesn't like the adaptations and how he thinks that, that comics are, it's a, it's a, it should be medium unto itself. It isn't translatable. I don't totally agree with him, but, and Grant Morrison in his way too. I mean, he, Grant Morrison really defends the, the medium and the art form. They both do that. So go ahead. But well, I, I, yeah. think it's, well, it's, I mean, uh, Alan Moore, Alan Moore complaining about the adaptations is a little <laughs> bit disingenuous because it seems like every time somebody makes an adaptation of one of his books, at first, he's excited about it, and no, he thinks that it's going to be good. And then, like, league. he gets he gets disillusioned somewhere along the way to the point that, like, by the time that the movie is actually going to be released, he's denouncing it and asking that his name be removed from it. But he still has this this um, naivete about him, where it seems like he each time another one comes along, he thinks that like this is going to be the one, this is going to work, it's going to be good this time. Like, but, which, but who knows what, what really happens? That's the other thing, though. I mean, we're we're hearing this from another from another source that that could be the case. Well, I have heard him speak well, on it, but the source. I mean, he has talked about this stuff, but I yeah. think so. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen may have been his first. Was that his first thing? I can't remember. It might have been his first exact adaptation, and it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And after you know that, with Sean Connery, Jeremy. Yeah, that was yeah. the one with Sean Connery. Yeah. Was like you know, you know, basically it's like, hey, Sean Connery, you want to be in the, this movie, Lord of the Rings? What? Elves? None of that stuff for me. No, thank you. And then of course, you know, someone said, hey, you want to be in this Harry Potter movie? Ugh, magic? No. Got enough of any Indiana Jones? Or at least I got to shoot Hitler. Like that's not exactly what happened, like, you know. <laughs> so finally, but those they both did so well that he's like, "All right, whatever the next nerd thing is, I'll take it." He's like, "I'm oh, Mr. Sean Connery. I got this. Uh, it's this thing. Uh, it's based on a comic book. I'm sold." And he takes it, and it turned out to be terrible. And after that, he said, "Ah, oh, screw it," and he left. So, he ate some haggis as he was leaving. Well, right. Now, I love that your your Sean Connery voice sounds more like Scrooge McDuck than John Connery. <laughs> I've been watching He's just a lot excited of it. <laughs> <He's> just, 